everybody. Welcome to Church This Morning. So glad you're here. Uh, we're going to be continuing in our Letters from Paul series in just a sec. But before we do, I have a personal announcement. And it's that uh, I asked Steph to marry me and she said yes. So we got engaged. Now, that happened about two months ago. So don't hate me. Um, there was this, we got engaged the same weekend as everything shut down. And we were really hoping that we could tell a lot of people in person. We hoped a church service was around the corner, you know. And so we kind of kept it a little bit under wraps for a bit, hoping we could walk around and, you know, be with people and make that announcement in person. But that obviously doesn't look like it's going to happen. So now I got to stand here and say it to a camera, but someone did make a good point. It's like, at some point, you should probably tell people you're engaged so people don't think it's some kind of bizarre secret. Steph and I also don't use social media for personal things really anyway. I think the Jesus changed my life thing was the first personal thing I posted on social media in quite some time. So uh, it's not a secret. It's the best news ever. She's the love of my life. It's the best. We're trying to figure out how to plan a wedding now in the midst of all this, which is super fun. Um, but we'll figure it out. God's good and uh, he's going to make a way and it's going to be a beautiful time. So there you go. Um, in proper Paul form, uh, I think he, he says somewhere, you know, we shared, we shared with you the gospel, but also our lives as well. So there you go. Here's a little piece of my life and I'm super excited. Uh, okay. So uh, we're going to be talking about Philippians this morning and it's my, for sure, my favorite, one of Paul's letters and maybe my favorite book in the whole Bible. And here's why, is, is I think it really actually articulates one uh, of the main point of our series in that we've been really trying to get to the heart of why the Holy Spirit would use uh, people like Paul to convey the heart of the gospel. Just a guy writing to some people that he loves. Uh, and somehow that is the best vessel for the Holy Spirit to communicate the fullness of the gospel, like from person to person, uh, through love and through relationships. And this letter is a friendship letter from Paul to the, uh, to the church in Philippi who sent him a bunch of food and, and, and uh, uh, while he was in prison. And Paul was really blessed by that. So this is in, lot of, in lots of ways a thank you note to them. And his heart just kind of gushes. And it's, an, it's a great window into Paul's heart, maybe like no other, like no other epistle is. Uh, and I think we'll be able to learn lots from this. So... Uh, the, 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 the core concept that we're going to be working through today is this idea of imitation. And like I said, Paul's heart is really gushing and he's really vulnerable in this book. And in this book, he, he, he's, he uses imitation language more than in any other one of his epistles. Uh, he, he asks the people around him to imitate him. And it's super vulnerable, like be like me. And the people that are like me, be like them. And he doesn't seem afraid at all to call others to emulate his lifestyle. To emulate, to emulate that. In, in Philippians 3, 7, 17, it says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So uh, why, does, why does Paul have so much confidence in this? Like what gives, him the, what gives him the right to do this? Well, Paul really sees his whole life as just a reenactment of Jesus' life. Uh, Paul is very committed to having his motivations and even his actions and decisions be as close to what Christ would have done as possible. And so therein lies his confidence. And so this is an important fact. Like in Philippians 1, 21, it says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Like maybe imitation is too weak of a word. <laughs> to live is Christ. Like my, my goal here is to reflect the image of Christ. Paul isn't saying, be like me because I'm awesome. 
He's saying, see Christ through me. Uh, uh, follow me as I follow Christ. Like I am, I am a, a mirror, a mirror to you of who Christ is because of the way that I live. And, you know, don't, don't worship me, worship Christ, but you're going to see him through me. So this is a really incarnational thought, right? Like we learned that word a few weeks ago about how God is more than happy to work through people and his spirit empowers us to live a, to live a, uh, to live a righteous life that reflects Christ's character um, through us. It's what a huge privilege that is. So that's at the heart of what we're really exploring in this series. So have you ever thought that the point of your life is to reflect Christ? Uh, it's not some bonus thing. It's the point, like he's put you here and he's given you his spirit to show the world who he is. Uh, that his image, like we are image bearers. Wow. We're image bearers of God himself. Uh, that's wild. Like what an unbelievably important purpose we have to reflect the God of the universe who loves each one of us <laughs> so immensely. Our job is to uh, imitate him in order to reflect him. It's a very profound thought. So what we want to answer today is... Uh, what does imitation look like? What are we supposed to imitate? How uh, do we best emulate, imitate, live out uh, uh, who God's called us to be in a way that reflects Christ the best? Uh, what, is the, what is the ultimate objective? What are we really shooting for? Uh, it's not about trying harder and memorizing Jesus's actions and then trying to copycat. The, it's not about being a copycat <laughs> so much as it is, uh, what about his character? And, and what is the spirit allowing us to become to reflect him? It's, it's, it's deeper than just a set of actions or memorizing some doctrines. It's, uh, uh, it's, it's much more at the core of who we are. And what I'd like to suggest to you today is that it's this idea of humility, that imitation, imitating Christ looks like humility. Um, Philippians 2 verse 3 says this, uh, this is a definition of humility. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So humility is just elevating um, others above yourself. I I love, I love humility. It is the, I think it's the bedrock of relationships. I think it's the foundation of um, all kingdom advancement. It's, it's considering others better than yourself. It's uh, having a love motivation for others. It's uh, the root word in Latin is something to do with the word low. And here's an interesting thing to note about humility is it's not so much about making yourself less. Uh, there's nothing wrong with having accomplishments. There's nothing wrong with being successful. There's nothing wrong with being competent and skilled or, uh, or and succeeding with those skills. That's uh, We know this because there are people who have, uh, have been immensely successful by the world standards in life who are immensely humble. Uh, just because uh, humility is about how you relate to the world around you. 
You could be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company and still be a humble person because of the way that you relate to another, to the people around you. Um, so it's not about like, oh, I need to be less successful to be humble. It's no, despite my success, <laughs> am I still able to see others? Am, am I still able to not look to my own interests, but to the interests of others? Now, no matter how successful you are, you are now a humble person because of the way that you relate to, to the world around you. It's a very relational word. So when you hear humility, don't say, mm, I can't succeed. More here, what is, what is having a uh, low view of your own, uh, a low view of your own accomplishments? And maybe there's nuance there for you. It's like, well, how do I succeed and yet have a low view of them? Well, therein lies the beauty of humility, where we're able to strive and succeed and grow and do the things God's given us to do, but not have them become the point, not have them, t not have them uh, become the image we're trying to, to show people. Because uh, instead, we're actually trying to reflect the image of Christ. So if we are humble, we will be uh, more capable of reflecting Christ to the world around us. Instead, as his image as opposed to our image. Uh, the opposite of hum humility could just be described as, uh, I need the world to know that my image is successful. I need the world to know that I've succeeded in this way. And all of a sudden humility starts to leave because of how important your image became. So humility is a very, very deep word. Now, in, in talking about humility, uh, if we're going to talk about this and say, okay, it's important to consider others better than yourselves. Now, we need it. We need an example. And of course, Christ is our example for this. And all of Philippians centers around one poem in Philippians chapter 2. And it's probably, I would argue, one of the most important things we could ever memorize uh, in, in the Bible. It's, it's, a, it's a very succinct, um, it's a very succinct description of Christ's humility. And the title of the of the chapter, at least the one that NIV picks, you know how sometimes Bible translations will title different sections of scripture to kind of get, they're not really in the scripture, but they help us orient, you know, where we are in the book. The title of Philippians 2 here is it says, Imitating Christ's Humility. <laughs> We're called to imitate his humility. And um, and then this, this chunk just goes on to describe how humble Christ was. And we're supposed to imitate this. So let's read this. This is Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. It says this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So there's another imitation word. Have the same mindset. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore God, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So um, here we have this amazing depiction of Christ's humility. Not only did God become man, which on its own is an extremely humbling, th humbling thing to do, then he goes and dies for his creation. And uh, we're called to have that same mindset. We're called to, uh, in our relationships with one another, be 
be that humble. Now, you and I have a lot less to lose than God. <laughs> and uh, uh, what, what an amazing example that we have. So here's the thing is, this is pretty tension filled. You, you notice that he dies in this. Um, the ex what humility taken to its ultimate extreme of considering others better than yourselves is, if I have to die for you, I would, because I think I consider you better than me. I, can, I love you more than me. And Christ is so love motivated and so humble that he would even consider you and I worthy of his own life. If you, there, is no better, there is no better definition of humility than God becoming man and dying for creation. And then he asks us to have the same mindset and our relationships with each other. So why? And it is tension-filled. There's a, there's a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's a deeply fascinating theologian, uh, kind of from the middle of the 20th century in Germany. I want them to make a movie about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a theologian uh, with really profound thoughts. He was part of assassination plots to kill Hitler, and he was hung in a Nazi camp, and a very fascinating guy. Um, and he writes in his book, uh, The Cost of Discipleship. He says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. A little extreme, perhaps, but it's, it's not untrue when looking at this Philippians verse. Have the same mindset. Uh, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Okay, all right, this is what we're called to do. So uh, what I'd like to do is see how this kind of, I'd like to go through three, three things I've observed on Philippians on what humility in this way accomplishes. What humility taken to its Christ-like extreme has the potential of yielding in our lives. Uh, why would he call us to do this? Why would he call us to humility? Why would he call us to come and die with him? So there's three things I'd like to highlight and pull out of Philippians here that it seems as though Paul is, uh, is, is harping on because this, this whole book is centered around Philippians 2, this idea of humility, but then he's using that uh, in the book. He's using that um, you know, anchor point to, 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 as the foundation for, for, for telling the Philippians to do a bunch of things. And it's like, this is what will happen if you're humble. This is what will happen if you love other people. This is what will happen if you consider others better than yourselves. <clears throat> and you kind of have to pick and pull from the, from the letter. But they all kind of center around this thought. And the first one is that humility redeems suffering. In Philippians uh, 1.29, it says this, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Isn't it funny that it says, for it's been granted to you the opportunity to suffer for, for, for God. Uh, so, okay, this is a problem. Why, why would suffering be something that's granted to you and I? And as I've thought about this, uh, if, if our life purpose is to build ourselves up and to build our own image up, Suffering has no purpose. It's just an inconvenience. It's just something you wish you wouldn't have happened and you try to move on and it's almost unredeemable because suffering taints our image. It's a roadblock. It's inconvenient. And we spend a lot of time in life trying to eradicate suffering. Uh, I don't think God is uh, 
we're not we're not the point is not to punish us with pain so that like well do you really mean it like would you go through this but i think what this is after is proud people who are entitled who want to build their own kingdoms and want to show the world their own image that they've created for themselves uh and the lack of humility as a result really makes it difficult to reflect the personhood of Christ to the world around you. That is not what Jesus did. It's just not. It doesn't display him well. Uh, you're an image bearer of, of, of God, actually. You're not an image bearer of yourself. There is no such thing. We trick ourselves all the time into thinking that, uh, well, I have something to show the world and there's something about me that needs to be shown and I need to make sure people think this about me, all that sort of stuff. Um, but what if that's not your life purpose? And then what if, what if uh, humility allows us to leverage suffering towards reflecting more of who Jesus is to the rest of the world? He's described as the suffering servant. Without that piece of who Jesus is, we do not have a compelling story. Jesus suffered a terrible death to reconcile you and I to God. And then he says, okay, okay. Uh, you remember how I did that? Remember how I suffered to reconcile you and I? Great. That's the plan. And I'm going to need you to also suffer in the same sort of selfless way as a way of showing how true what I accomplished was. And so I've granted to you the opportunity to suffer for a purpose. Now, it's going to require some humility, though, because if you think that you're building your own kingdom and your image matters too much to you, it's not. It's a tough sell for you to preach me and to display me to the rest of the world. But if you're building my kingdom and if you love me and if the reality of how my suffering has made a way for you, now all the things that you would go through for my namesake uh, and being taken advantage of for my namesake and difficulties for my namesake all become redeemed because as you are humble and find me in those places you will display an aspect of my character, Jesus speaking, that suffering actually only can. So you see how humility already starts to make a way of going, wow, if I'm considering others better than myself, and if I am building not my kingdom but someone else's, all of my suffering is an opportunity to point to the one whom I love most. But guys, suffering will always be an inconvenience if we're chiefly building our own image and having some time for Jesus on the side. It'll always be too frustrating. We won't see him in it and we won't see the opportunity in it. Another thing that I've noticed in Philippians of what humility makes a way for is it creates legacies. Now, Paul's, Paul's building a legacy and he actually deeply cares that his labor as a person is not in vain. It's almost like he's saying, um, please, please follow Jesus because I've really worked hard. Like I really worked hard at you being a church and uh, it would mean a lot to me if you kept going with what I said. No, think about as a leader, that is the most vulnerable thing. I'll speak, I'll speak on behalf of myself to go, Hey, uh, oh man, you, it would be really great for me if you took what I said and ran with it. Like, don't start over. Don't, don't reinvent the wheel. Just, just. It would build my faith a lot if you just did what I said. <laughs> and uh, what if we could start to create some legacies 
and have things ripple out. Now, we'll read a few verses. Philippians 1.23 says, uh, this is Paul talking about how he's like in jail. And he's like, well, you know, if I die and they kill me, then I'll get to be with Jesus. So that's nice. But if I stay alive, it means I can help you guys more and plant more churches. <sighs> For sure, dying is better, but because um, I get to go away with Jesus. But if it means that I, if I got to stay alive and do more fruitful labor, then great. So check this out. It says, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart to be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. <laughs> like he's just like, he's fully okay with the idea that people are benefited by him and that they're learning something from him. Uh, and, and another example in Philippians 2.16, he says, as you hold firmly to the word of life, um, sorry, as you hold firmly to the word of life, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. So Paul's kind of has his heart really out on the table here going, please follow Jesus because I worked hard. And I think I really taught you something worth running with and build on that. Please don't let this be a labor in vain. Now, uh, people hearing leaders say that go, well, what if I, what if I want to, what if I have a better thought than you? Or what if I, ha what if I want to do something unique with my life? Or what if I, what if I have my own thing I want to build? You know, it's awkward for someone to go, please build on what I built. Uh, and it really challenges our humility. So something that I was that I was thinking about is, you know, we're all taught to make something of ourselves and build things from scratch. And we're all social entrepreneurs and have our own YouTube channels so for that we're trying to, you know, and we're all trying to gain our own followerships and stuff, right? This is our culture. But that is in such stark contrast to um, a great example that we've used before is the idea of building a cathedral, you know, in, I don't know, a long time ago before tools. <laughs> and to, to build the cathedral would have taken hundreds of years. So the contractor would have started it and then his son would have taken over and then his son would have taken over and then like the great-great-grandchild finishes the construction of the same thing that their great-great-great-grandpa started. And that kid is just grown up being like, you're gonna be an architect, I'm sorry, you have to. And, uh, uh, and there's a way to make this all very weird. But at the same time, there's so much beauty in the idea that you build on what something somebody else was building. And uh, could you, any one of those kids in that chain of the cathedral, if they said, I'm going to build my own cathedral, um, the, the cathedral doesn't get built. And there's actually a generational lineage aspect to our faith that I'm deeply troubled does not exist in very many places. Everybody starts over. Uh, you think back to Old Testament, rabbis had the same students for their whole lives. And maybe they weren't the best rabbi. Maybe they had a little, they leaned a certain way or they, but they at least knew that. They at least gleaned everything that that rabbi learned in their life. And that's where they started from by the time that they had a chance to have their own thoughts and write their own things. But at least they weren't spinning their wheels and backtracking. Um, that's huge. But think about the humility that it takes to study under someone, to, to learn, to, to spend the time to learn a thing. Uh, a great example, um, that uh, that Steph shared with me is that she has a business she has a business mentor and uh, he's he's really he's a really gifted guy has a lot of great things to say and uh, and uh, he was also the main professor of the program that she was in in business school 
and he's a very strong person and has lots of opinions. And what he's trying to do is, uh, and he has kind of a reputation for being, uh, you know, if you don't do well, he'll kind of rip you to shreds, you know, in front of the whole class. And uh, Steph was saying that um, there's some people who love that and rise to that occasion. And there's some people who go, who does this guy think he is? You know, who does he think he is? Now, of course, this guy's a very gifted, very gifted businessman for sure doesn't know everything, right? For sure, probably has faults of his own. But Steph decided to say, okay, I'm just gonna learn everything this guy has to say, and I'm gonna start from there. Because why don't I start from the 60-something-year-old businessman? I'll start there, and then I'll start thinking for myself after I've humbled myself to actually learn a thing. And some of her classmates going, "What is? who does this guy think he is? They have to start from scratch now. <laughs> if they reinvent the wheel entirely simply because they weren't humble enough to hear, uh, to, to, to be part of a legacy and to join something bigger than yourself. And this is where the rubber meets the road for me is we aren't building our own kingdoms. We are building God's kingdom. I am totally ill-equipped for that job. And if my heart really is to build his kingdom, uh, I need all the help I can get. If my primary job description though is to build my own kingdom, I'm for sure the best person for the job. It's a little pathetic. It's gonna be a tiny little sandcastle. It's gonna be nothing in the grand scheme of eternity, but I'm the, I'm the best person for that job. No one's gonna pick it up after me, but at least I, you know, and you just spend your whole life getting people to come look at your little sandcastle. Uh, and then, but, but God's going, oh, I'm building something so beautiful that I need you to help me with. You get, like, it's a privilege. You get to help me build the most beautiful kingdom in the whole world, and I actually need you. <clears throat> and if that's the cry of our heart, we'll be desperate for, for, for help from our leaders, from our mentors, from our people in life who are for sure broken, like Paul. Uh, but start there, guys. And I see so much deconstruction of someone has a thought and goes, what if we try this? You know, and someone spent some time trying to build a thing. And then, and then the default position in my generation for sure and in my own heart is to go, mm, I'll, I could probably pull that apart. I could probably point out how that's wrong. And, it's, and all I'm doing is I'm refusing to humble myself and be a student and to learn a thing. And it's because I'm still captured and enamored by this idea of being self-made as opposed to going, no, uh, I am so ill-equipped for building God's kingdom. Who, who would let me study under them for too long? Who would let me apprentice them? Who would, who would let me into their lives? <laughs> and the church is supposed to be a place that builds legacies. We don't spin our wheels. We submit to one another and we consider others better than ourselves and we humble one another and we learn and we don't deconstruct uh, we, we join and then we critique. Of course we critique. There's, it's not like the things humans say, is, humans say are ever going to be gospel, but the, the position that you critique from means everything. Are you critiquing from a place of humility or are you critiquing from a place of deconstruction so that you get the credit at the end of the day? I don't want credit. I don't, I don't, I don't want credit. I want to advance God's kingdom. That's gripped my heart. And it's, it's humbling to build someone else's kingdom. So that's another observation. Is humility uh, is a precursor to obedience. And guys, we're not going to build God's kingdom unless we're obedient to him. And obedience is often humiliating. Because it feels like your kingdom is being squashed. 
and it's an and it's an insult on you and your image takes a hit because you didn't know how to do something but perhaps today we could use a little dose of humility and say you know what i need jesus and i need the church to build his kingdom lastly um, humility increases our confidence in christ uh, let me read this philippians 3 um, it says this in verse 4 uh, this is this is paul talking about how uh, he's really confident in Christ, uh, but he also is saying, look, I have a lot of reasons to be confident in the flesh, which would be the opposite. I have a lot of reasons where I could puff up my image really well. And you Philippians are trying to maybe present a good image or, uh, you're, you're trying to have, uh, you're not humble and you're trying to make sure that everybody thinks that your image is good and you're boasting in your flesh. And then Paul kind of comes along and says, look, I have more reason than all of you to boast in my flesh. Check this out. He kind of gloats. It's so great. He goes, I myself have reasons for confidence in the flesh. Paraphrasing. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. (laughs) And then he just goes on to say, uh, but I consider them nothing. I consider them garbage for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. I love this. As he goes, uh, look, you guys think you have, com- you, have, you have reason to be confident in the flesh? Look at this. Like I am the Jew of all Jews and the most righteous. And I think it's garbage in comparison to reflecting Christ's image. My image is just, no matter how perfect, it pales in comparison to the beauty of Jesus. And so here's what's super cool is, uh, is Paul threw away his image and it's what got everybody's attention. It's actually one of his main plays is he goes, uh, you have no reason to be confident in the flesh. And you see all the things I had? They no longer matter to me. So I want to ask you guys a question. Perhaps there's things in life that God's given you, probably has, that you're really proud of, <laughs> that you could use to p- build up your own image, that you could use to say, just to do the opposite of humility. <laughs> um, you could use them as foundations to build your life on. Maybe you're talented at something. Maybe you run something cool. Maybe you're gifted in a certain way. Uh, maybe you have some, something you're really proud of. I don't know. Now look at that thing. Is Does it matter to you that everyone knows that about you? Does it matter? Do you, do you work that thing into conversations? Maybe it's the school you went to or a grade you got or, you know, some success of a child of yours even or... Where? Where is the thing? Uh, (laughs) And this is what I find fascinating. Is that when we hold those things open-handedly, it turns heads and it changes the game and it changes the conversation to one about Christ-like humility. When you obviously aren't impressed with that or you don't talk about it or it's it's a gateway to a conversation. Do you consider those things garbage? in comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. 
Is that something someone would know about you? Or do you work it into conversation? Do you work it in? Do you want people to make sure that you know that you make six figures or whatever it is? Pick a thing. It doesn't have to be sometimes really pathetic stuff. We just work in just so it's like, okay, at least they know that I am, I can run 10K. <laughs> we pick really simple, weird stuff all the time to present our image. And here's what's the shame about that is that as soon as our image becomes something that we really, really like, it stops reflecting the image of Christ. Jesus never went around doing that. You want to talk about somebody who could boast. <laughs> he never did. He always considered the other person better than himself. And our job, remember, our bullseye, our job is to reflect him in every chance we get. And we walk around making sure that our little pathetic image is still intact. And it doesn't seem like that big of a crime, really. Like, what's the problem with working in what grade I got? You know, what's the problem with making sure that people know I have nice clothes or a sports car or like, really? Like, can't I boast a little bit? And we as Canadians, we get really tricky with it too, because we know boasting's bad and we're not really egotistical people by nature, but we'll find ways of making sure people know that we have a good image. It's actually weirder. It's weirder than just full on boasting. And then we get tricky with it. And it's such a shame because it blocks our ability to reflect who Christ is. Uh, an example of this for me, at least one of the more palpable examples that, that I've used where I think I was really taught this lesson was um, back in the day, we used to have this worship night that we did for, 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 for youth and called the chapel. And there was one point where it was really growing and there was lots of students coming out to this high school, John Oliver, all worshiping together. And at that time, I, I, uh, I, um, by, by God's grace, we realized pretty early on that this wasn't going to be the be all end all answer to the kingdom coming in Vancouver, you know, one little worship night. Uh, but it was kind of the cool place to be. Uh, for a little bit and what's handy about having you know being in charge of an event that is the cool place to be for you know local christian culture is that when you email other youth pastors they answer your emails and they get back to you and they want to meet with you because people like meeting with other important people i guess i don't know <laughs> it's just i don't know if you get an email from someone who's above you you take you write them back like if you respect them or you think they're better than you like wow so and so emailed me i'm for sure gonna and so <laughs> it feels kind of silly but uh, I was running this event and it, I didn't seem to have a problem having coffee with people. They would always say yes. And I think what people were expecting me to do in those coffees was come along and go, here's why I think you should bring your youth group out to chapel too. <laughs> but instead, uh, I was very aware by God's grace that that thing was not the answer. And so I'd show up to a coffee being discontent with it, thinking, um, yeah, it is, it's beautiful that a couple hundred kids are showing up to worship Jesus. Don't get me wrong. But this is a drop in the bucket. I want to see a revival in our city. I want to see disciples who make disciples. I want to see students sharing their faith. I want to see youth groups busting at the seams. We're, we're a world away from that, and I can't quite tell how this is even helping. What do you think we should do? And it's amazing to see the conversation change, where the thing that perhaps was held in esteem... For the purposes of the analogy, I don't want to blow up, you know, make this chapel thing sound greater than it really was. But for the sake of the analogy, uh, the thing that was held in esteem, that was perhaps an event that the person across the table would have loved to be in charge of. I tried to consider it garbage <laughs> for the surpassing worth of building God's kingdom. And uh, this is the what humility paves a way for, is um, 
we get to go, it, it's, what do you have that Jesus would long to have you hold with an open hand to shape conversations towards a bigger problem? Guys, our problems are really big. They're really big and my little solutions and your little solutions aren't going to cut it. Our little images that we're building for ourselves, our little idols that we're building, they're not going to cut it. Uh, if our confidence is in the flesh, we are going to spin our wheels for a very long time for God's kingdom. But if we see the things that God has given us, real things, real tangible skills and assets and successes and things worth gloating about, at least by the world standards, if we see them in the, with humble hearts going, wow, look at what you've given me. How can I serve you with this? How can I serve you with this? And how can I make sure that it doesn't get in the way of reflecting your character to the world around me? How can I make sure that it doesn't block all of who you are from this world? How do I not idolize those things? And Jesus would come along and go, look, Jesus threw away his life, his perfect life, his perfect sinless life that he could have boasted in. And he said, I consider it garbage for the surpassing worth of being reconciled to my people. This is the God that we serve. This is who we get to follow. This is who gets to be in charge. This is who we're pointing people towards. I feel so humbled by, by Christ and all that he is. And to not feel humbled feels like an audacious sin. Feels like a crazy thing to even assert. That my image would even be close or worth telling people about. Now, I realize there's a nuance in this. We don't go around just speaking ill of, 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 of ourselves. That's not what I'm saying. Remember, it's not, about, it's not about thinking less of yourself so much as it's elevating everybody else. It's uh, be successful. Have things that gets, get you into the coffee meetings. I mean, why not, right? Uh, but, are we, but are we holding them with a, do we have a humble heart? Can he trust us? Can he trust us with things that are tempting to idolize? So um, I think what is a good way to end is that it's important to remember that the spirit is what empowers us to do this. The spirit is what makes us humble. And there is, uh, just as much as we're called to be a reflection, that, uh, that, that metaphor or that image, uh, that um, analogy does fall apart a little bit in that he actually does dwell in us. So there's one way of looking at us as a mirror of who Christ is, and there's another way of looking at it that's like he's just with us and in us. And we're reflecting him, not from some distant, you know, like the moon and the sun and the moon reflecting or something. It's, it's, it's not, he's actually in us. And, and um, his character oozes out of our hearts because he wants to dwell with you and I. And so I love Paul's vulnerability in this. Uh, I want to read Corinthians. I know it's not in Philippians, but in Corinthians has a helpful verse for us in this way. And it says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. That, there's so much tension in that. There's so much tension in that. And so perhaps today, uh, God would want to invite you into a spirit of humility. And he would want you to have the same mindset as he has. Because I think it sets us free. It redeems our suffering. It sets us free from suffering just being something that's calamity and irredeemable. Uh, 
it creates legacies where when we humble our hearts, we can learn from other people. And then we model something that has the ability to multiply. And we don't have to start from scratch all the time because we've humbled our hearts to see and learn and see Christ in other people despite their faults and their imperfections. And we could build a church that, that grows, grows relationally, not in numbers, grows in depth, has mothers and fathers in the faith and mentors and respect and like a rabbi, students. Uh, I think about, um, my dad has a great story of his mentor and he would just show up all the time to all the different things that, that Patty was, was, was speaking at. And it was the same stuff over and over again. And Patty took dad aside one, aside one time and says, why are you still here? You've heard this stuff a million times. And dad said, I'm be- I think I'm beginning to understand it 25 years in. And our problems are just too big. Our problems are just too big to reinvent the wheel every time to have a unique special thought. I think we need to build legacies and it takes every ounce of humility. And I think, it, I think humility increases our confidence in Christ versus our flesh. And our fleshly things that he's given us just have, aren't enough to build his kingdom. But they do, when held openly, reveal the surpassing worth of who Jesus is. When he, when, when he gives us something the world would want and then, we, and then we put it in its rightful place and we point to him instead. It's one of the most important ways of having a testimony. So this is my prayer for us. Is that what God would give us a spirit of humility to reveal himself in church? Uh, uh, he will raise you up and exalt you. He will be the one who pulls you up. And he will tell you how loved you are. And he will... He will give you a crown, (laughs) but it'll be from him. I just love in this, after Jesus becomes a death on a cross, it says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place. And Jesus calls us his brothers and sisters. And he says, come die with me so that God can raise us up and and, and have us be co-heirs to the kingdom. Let him do that for you. Don't do it for yourself. He longs to resurrect you as you die with him. Don't fight for your image. Don't fight for your idols. Humble yourself the way that Jesus did and let and, and be resurrected alongside of him and be exalted alongside of him. <laughs> it's a pretty great deal. Lord, um, thank you for, for, for this book and thank you for Paul's heart in Philippians. This is just so desperate to call a people to elevating others and you above themselves and father i pray that we as a church as we do that and as we long to see your kingdom come and as we long as we have your as we long for the things you long for would you put us in our rightful place would you humble our hearts and would you give us things that we can consider garbage for the surpassing worth of knowing you father i just i pray for blessing and i pray for uh I pray for earthly favor and all of those things, but not at the expense of knowing you. Thank you for how good you are. Thank you for raising us up. Thank you for the amazing example we have in you to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.